This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Don't Be a Stumbling Block, and it comes from 1 John 2, 7 through 14. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no space between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you consume your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Google or Spotify or Amazon. We're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. For those of you that are just catching this as your first lesson, we're in the book of 1 John. Let me give a quick review. Maybe you missed a week. So this will kind of do a summary of where we're at in the middle of chapter 2. When we started this series, I told you that the disciples were driven out of Jerusalem. That was around 70 A.D. Now, Jesus had died around 30 A.D. John has settled now into what we would call modern-day Turkey, and he continued his ministry there. Now, it was primarily to the Gentiles in that area. The Romans have come in and they've pushed the Christians out. And so John is primarily ministering to what are called first-generation believers. These are people who got saved as adults with no previous church or Christ experience. They weren't raised up in the church like most of you that are listening to me that probably have been. Again, these letters were written around 90 AD, so this would have been circulated around to the different churches, but this was written to a church. And this makes John pretty old. This is around in his mid-80s to right at 90 years old. And we talked about his main concerns in this letter is to stop those believers from buying into false teachers. That A lot of that Gnosticism has made its way into the church, and he's trying to address that. And this Gnosticism is changing the message about Jesus. And he wants them to remain true to what they were taught from the beginning and why they got saved. And in this same first lesson, we talked about how John reminded them that he was credible. He had the credibility of an eyewitness, that he was there with the life of Christ. He knew more than anyone else could ever know about Christ because he knew Christ personally. He heard him. He saw him. He touched him. He knew all that about Christ. So he is the most credible witness of the accounts that he's been teaching. And as we've been going through the first chapter and then the first six verses of chapter two, I told you that his message is simple. You don't have to be a theologian to understand it. And he repeats it over and over. 
And those points that he's been getting out is that Jesus Christ is faithful to forgive sins. If we'll just come and repent and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And then he also talks about love one another as Christ loved us. Maintain that fellowship with each other. We talked about a vertical relationship with God, the Father, and the Son. But we also talked about a horizontal relationship with each other. And we have to love one another. Jesus said they will know us by our love. And then for two weeks, we talked about staying in the light and living like Christ lived. Now, if we don't obey God, we don't know God. That's what 1 John teaches us. That if we don't obey his commandments, if we don't follow what the Bible says, then we're lying to ourselves that we don't know God. So with all that said, let's stop. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 7. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in him, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We're going to stop right there for now. So the first thing I want to dive into is verse 7 where he says that, Brethren, I write you no new commandment. John's been repeating himself in his message over and over, and he's changed it slightly every time he said it. And the commandment that he's talking about that's not new is that we are to love one another, we're to obey God, and we're to live Christ-like. And these were taught by Jesus himself. So they're not new, but they may be new to those that have not yet come to follow Jesus. But for the ones that had followed Jesus, the ones that had been saved by the disciples' teaching, would have known these commandments. And so this is a part of the beginning. They would have known from the time that the disciples have been teaching. And now you have this Gnosticism coming in that's trying to add to the gospel. And he's saying, look, I'm not going to teach you anything new. I'm going to teach you what's been there from the start. Listen to what Jesus said, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Jesus had taught that we are to love one another and we're to love the Lord our God. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament, even the Jews back in those days would use the Pentateuch. They would go to Deuteronomy and they would repeat the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign of your hand, and they shall be on the forefront of your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpath of your house and your gates. Again, that's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And that is the Jewish Shema. So this new commandment that Jesus is telling them is really goes back all the way to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament that pointed to the love that the Father has for us and how we are to love him and others. 
But Jesus also modeled. He was the best illustration that we could have of this love. He showed us that the cross was wide enough to include every human being. We talked about that. It was long enough to last through eternity. It wasn't just for a select few, but it was for anyone who believes on him. Go read John 3.16. It was deep enough to reach the most guilty person. There's no one too far gone. If you're listening to me today and the devil is whispering in your ear, hey, you've blown it. Your, your life's too messed up. You don't have a chance. You might as well just forget about it. That's not true. That is the devil telling a lie to you. It's deep enough to reach the most guilty sinner, and yet it's high enough to take us to heaven. See, this is the new love that Jesus taught about, a love to the world that had never really been seen before Jesus went to the cross, and that was the ultimate display of love. And so John is reminding them of what Jesus told them in John 13, 34, and this really isn't a new commandment because Jesus had taught it and he's saying, I was there, I heard him teach it, and I've taught it to you. So I'm just repeating basically what Jesus said and nothing has changed. And it was that we're to love and serve each other as Christ himself loved and served us, his disciples, and those of his followers. After two lessons ago, I got an email from one of the listeners and they said, Tim, how do you know when somebody really is a Christian? And my answer to him was, you don't. But you have to look at their fruit. And this is what Jesus is saying, that they will know you because it's not how you dress. It's not the Christian speak that we do. It's not how we spend our Sunday. Even though all that's important, remember that people think Christians are hypocrites. So if you just play the part, if you just look the part, then guess what? They're, they're just going to throw you in that hypocrite rule. But true love is hard to fake. And that's the only way that you can really know if someone's a Christian or not is by how they walk their walk and how they live it out. But how we love others is what Jesus said, that they will know that you are my disciple. And then John gets into this light and dark thing again. Walking in the light means loving your brother. It means obedience to the scripture. Walking in darkness will cause you to stumble. Let me illustrate this to you, I guess. When I used to go hunting, I would go hunting early in the morning before daylight. Without some type of light, I would stumble. I would run into things trying to get to the deer stand. But you know what? That morning after the sun came up, after the woods had settled down, I came out of the deer stand. It was daylight. I was able to see the very things I stumbled over coming into the deer stand, I could see clearly and step over. And so John is saying the same thing, that if you walk in the light, that means you're going to love your brothers. It means you're going to obey the scriptures. You're not going to stumble over the things the scripture teach. But if you walk in darkness, then you're going to stumble over those things you can't see or the things in life that you chase after. The other thing I'll tell you about the hunting story is that I typically had a map either in my hand if it was a new time to that deer stand or the first few times of that deer stand. And might even have a compass because sometimes in the dark, it was hard to see the road. And so I'd have a compass to kind of help guide me on what was north, south, east, and west. Just like that map and that compass, I can relate that back to the map is the Bible and the compass is the Holy Spirit. And so we can see the physical world and we can make our way through it if we're using the Bible as our map and the Holy Spirit as our compass to guide us to be the light to our path. The world is very dark, and we need these to be effective in our Christian walk. 
So again, remember what I told you. John is in modern-day Turkey at this point when he's writing this. So who he's teaching this to are Christians, but they're mostly Gentiles. They don't understand all the finished work of Jesus, and he's teaching them that. And he says, he who is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. And when we talked about walking in the light before, we really talked about our moral measure, our walk with God. But here he's starting to talk about the fruit of that walk. So it's one thing to, to dress the right part and talk the right part and try to act and do things. But if you don't have the love, what does 1 Corinthians say? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. So what the Apostle Paul's writing right here to the church at Corinth is he's saying you can try to act the act. You definitely can talk the talk. But if you don't have love, if you don't have the fruit coming out of you, then you're nothing. If you remember, the, the Corinthians were enamored with the spiritual gifts. They loved to speak in tongues. And Paul reminds them without the love that it's nothing. He goes on to the other gifts like prophecy and knowledge and faith. And he's saying, without love, then they're worthless. And then Paul starts getting on to the folks that are doing works without love. He gets on to those that sold all they had and they gave to the poor. This is what Jesus told the rich young ruler. But the rich young ruler walked away because he was sad that he had to sell and he had much. He was in love with what he had and his status, even though he kept the law. And he wrapped it up saying that martyrdom, even martyrdom, because there, again, in this Gnosticism, there were some in, in this early day that were arrogant enough to think that if you died a martyrdom, that that would wash away your sins, that that work would make you clean before a God because of the act of love. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, don't let me turn this thing negative. Each of these described in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 are good. Tongues are good. Prophecy is good. Knowledge is good. Faith is good. Sacrifice is good. But love is better. If, we're, if it's done without love, then it's just about us. The focus is on us. So it's important that we do it through love and not about us. Because when we do that sacrificial love, when we do that agape love, we talked about that in a previous week, agape is a sacrificial love. When we give that service, then those works really mean things. And people see the true you. You're not considered a hypocrite anymore. You're different. And so we look at verses 10 and 11. He says, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for a stumble in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. So again, in the Greek, cause to stumble means to ensnare or to entrap them. These false teachers were doing this. These teachers of Gnosticism that were saying that you could live how you wanted to live because it was all spiritual and the flesh was bad. So as long as you had the spiritual good, you could live like you wanted to in the flesh because when we die, the spirit goes. So they were telling half-truths and they were entrapping and they were ensnaring people to live a sloppy Christian life. And when he says living in the light, we covered this as well. He's talking about living a godly life, which will help us as Christians and will help the Christians around you instead of making them stumble. 
because the younger Christians may look to you and say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And if you're not living that godly, that Christ-centered life, then you may make a brother to fall and become a stumbling block to them. I remember a preacher telling an example of this. He told about a firefighter that had been a legend firefighter, but how that he was disrespectful all to the point right before he got disciplined. Anyway, a new rookie comes on and he's an awe over this firefighter, this legend, and he starts to learn those bad traits. He learns to see the saltiness of this firefighter, even though he's a legend for the time that he's been there. And we can say that about Christians in the church. A new believer arrives and sees this guy and not only a salty Christian, but he's been a Christian for a long time. And all of a sudden he's enshrined that what he does and all of a sudden he starts taking on characteristics of this Christian that's been a Christian for a while. This new believer begins to stumble watching because this Christian that's been a Christian for a while is exploiting grace. He's living a sloppy Christian life. Paul also addressed this in his letter to the Roman church. He says in Romans 14, 12, and 13, it says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So what can we learn from this? Romans teaches us that we're not to be a stumbling block or a hindrance in any way to our brother. I can tell you what I've learned. I hope that I'm never that stumbling block. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. I want to be a good leader. I want to be a good Christian. I want to walk in the way Jesus walked. But I understand that I am going to occasionally fall. And I'm not bragging on that. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to repent of it. And we all struggle. So we need to encourage one another. And we need to love one another instead of kicking a brother when he's down. And now turn back with me to 1 John chapter 2. And let's start in verse 12 where we stopped. And you'll see that he now gets into the maturity that this message is for everyone. It's not for a particular group, but it's for everyone. Verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So this should be an encouragement to all of us because the focus is on different stages of the maturity in Christ. There's the focus on the child, the young men, and the father figure. And no matter what stage of your walk with Christ that you're in, whether it's early or in the middle or towards the been a legacy, you should be encouraged that you are in the truth and you should strive to remain in the truth. Let's address each of these. First, each of us begin our Christian life as little children. We're in this state spiritually, and it's enough for us to know and be amazed by the forgiveness of our sins and to look for God to forgive us righteously. And so we are to rejoice in it. We should be rejoicing in our salvation. We should never lose that. The next stage he, he talks about his father. We'll come back to that. But then he talks about young men. And as much as there are little children, there are also young men. These are men and women who no longer act like children, but yet they're not quite a father yet. They are on the front line. They're doing God's work. They're moving the kingdom forward like they should be. 
And he's reminding them that you've overcome the wicked one. You're engaged in the battle. You're not like the little children that you send out to war because they're not ready to fight. You're out there fighting on the front lines. You're taking on the greatest effort. You're paying the greatest cost. You're gaining great strength, though, and confidence in your walk as that stage of a young man. And then in verse 13, he addresses the fathers. He says, just as there's little children and just as there are young men, there's also fathers. And these are men and women of deep, long spiritual standing. You know, they have the kind of walk with God that doesn't come overnight. These are like oak trees that are planted by the water in the Lord that are got deep roots that are fed. And, and over time, they've grown strong and wide and they are harder to take out because of their years of faith and faithfulness. And that deep root that I told you about is around spiritual maturity. It is rooted in the intellectual knowledge and the remembrance and the fellowship and the relationship that they have with God Almighty. It's that vertical relationship that is taken to a whole different level. And there is no substitute for years and years of of that relationship with Jesus and the strength that you can fall on as you remember the mighty works that he's done for you. Sadly, though, even these spiritual fathers at time forget what we learn in Deuteronomy 1.30, that the Lord your God is going ahead of you and he will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. Here in Deuteronomy, he's reminding the nation of Israel, look back to the past. Look at what the Lord has done for you. And sometimes, even as fathers, as spiritual big oaks with that deep root, we forget the very battles that the Lord has won for us miraculously earlier in our life. To us fathers, look what Paul said. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Even as that big, strong oak tree, as a father, we need to understand that the gospel of Jesus is worth repeating no matter what stage of life we're in. It's the message unto salvation for those who believe. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. This passage of scripture teaches us about a new commandment that's really not a new commandment. It's about love. And it was the Father's love that Christ came to display. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And as his children, we are to reflect this holy love of God in our lives. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is love. And by this, we will be known that we are his, that we walk in the light, we walk godly, we walk with him is by how we love others. See, it wasn't a new commandment. Yet Jesus said, I give you this new commandment that you love one another. See, from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is teaching his disciples and his followers about godly love. Love one another as I've loved you. And this is how men will know you, that you are my disciples by your love. The love of God for us is displayed from the beginning of Christ's ministry. It is displayed from his birth in Bethlehem to his sacrificial offering on the cross. And even through his glorious resurrection. I even go further that God's love has nothing to do with our goodness. He loved us 
even when we didn't love him. He loved us first. And if his amazing love for us is really the truth of our reconciliation to God, how can we fail to trust that he will complete the good work in us? See, love is the essence of God which permeates his character. And what we see here in this scripture is that John is telling us and he's calling us to adopt this new and different commandment. We are to love the way Jesus loved. We are to love sacrificially. Yes, this old yet new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples right before he died is still fresh and new today. If the light is in us, if we die to ourselves and we allow that light, the Holy Spirit, to guide us and we follow his commandments, his Bible, then we'll walk and we'll radiate this love that Jesus showed as a perfect illustration to each and every one of us. If you're saying, Tim, this is hard, you're right, it is. It is only by him, through him, and for him that we're able to enable and become the light of Christ, shining in a dark world, leading others back to the truth. So let me ask you, do you love your brother? No matter the color of their skin, their education, or their dress, or their ability to repay you for whatever goodness you do for them, because that's what Jesus did. And we are called to be that person. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray right now that you would just help us to remember, one, that this is really not a new commandment. It's one that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, that we're to love you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and we're to love others as ourselves. Lord, we saw Jesus say this was the most important commandment. Lord, I pray today for each and every one that's listening, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, would start to come out in their life. Lord, that they would shine that light. They would show that love, that sacrificial love, that agape love, to help others that are in this dying, dark world that need to be saved. Those that are reaching for help, Lord, that they would see that there is a difference. There is a light of the world, and that's you. And that we will shine it out. We'll walk in the light through your love, and they'll know that we are different by your love. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would learn more about your goodness and your grace. We'd get in your word, and we would... Dig it out so it would be a map so that we walk with it. We would allow the Holy Spirit to be our compass to guide us. And Lord, that we would grow deeper in your love and that we would model it and we would reflect it. We would be more like a mirror reflecting you instead of us. Lord, right now I pray for anyone that showed up today and they're listening to this. Maybe they came with a need. Maybe they wouldn't be convicted today as a Christian. Maybe their life isn't different. Maybe they put on that Christian suit on Sunday. They talk the Christian talk. They talk the talk, but they haven't walked the walk. Lord, I pray today that they would ask for a renewing of their heart. Lord, that they would ask to find that first love again. Lord, that you would help them chase after that love that they used to have and that they would clean up their life and not live a sloppy Christian life. And Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you at all. Lord, they would understand that we all have a sin problem. Your word tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short. We missed the mark. And when we stand before a holy God that seems to be coming closer and closer every moment, every minute of every day, 
Lord, I pray that they would understand that the only way to do that is to make you Lord of their life. Lord, that they would believe on your finished work on the cross and how you overcame death and that you rose again. Lord, and they would confess you as Lord of their life. And Lord, they would chase after you. Your word teaches us if we love you, we will follow your commandments. Lord, right now, we just give you all the honor and praise and glory. We thank you for all the blessings that you send our way. Lord, I pray for a blessing over everyone listening to this lesson. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.